It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Tonight on Piers Morgan Uncensored with me, Richard Tice. And me, Isabella Oakeshott. It's day two of the Royal Race Round. Can Wills and Kate's US trip rescue the Royals? Not if Harry and Meghan have anything to do with it. When the stakes were this high, doesn't it make more sense to hear our story from us? And Labour on the attack over the PM's posh education. Are they scrapping private schools by stealth? Plus, plus, unbelievably, is lab-made artificial meat the answer to the global food crisis? Personally, I can't stand the stuff. It's a no. I don't reckon that he can actually tell the difference. We'll put that to the test. Live from London, this is Here's Morgan Uncensored with Richard Tice and Isabel Oakeshott. Well, hello and welcome to Piers Morgan Uncensored. And as you can see, we're not Piers. For starters, we're much better looking. Piers is having a well-earned rest off the back of a series of incredible exclusive interviews. So while he sits at home in his slippers, sipping his Horlicks, Richard and I are temporarily taking his place. And we're going to try and be just as uncensored. Well, of course, first up, the row over racism at the palace intensifies today after Ngozi Fulani, the woman at the centre of the storm, told of her pain and the hurt over the way that she was grilled and interrogated about her heritage by none other than the godmother to Prince William, Lady Susan Hussey herself, the domestic abuse campaigner who was at a reception hosted by the Queen Consort Camilla, says she felt trapped and violated as Lady Hussey repeatedly, repeatedly asked, where's she really from? Including the words, where are your people from? And what part of Africa are you from? Well, the answer, as Ngozi Fulani is generally happy to explain, is that her parents came to London from the Caribbean. Most of their children, including Ngozi herself, were born here in the UK. She's brilliantly British, British through and through. Writing about her life and background on a website, Ngozi talks all about this and describes how her father taught her about her, quote, connection to Africa. She is, however, British and answered that Lady Hussey seems strangely reluctant to accept. In their super awkward conversation on Tuesday night, the Queen's former lady-in-waiting repeatedly pressed her on her heritage, long after it was pretty clear that the line of questioning was causing offence. Now, for her ignorance, she has rightly resigned. 
the palace, which has spent so much of the last year countering Meghan Markle's allegations of racism and trying to work out just how the royals should respond to criticism of the UK's colonial past, must be horrified. They had absolutely no choice but to let her step down immediately. So, the challenging question now, as we look forward, is whether Ngozi Falana has done us all a tough but necessary favour by smoking out the possible latent institutional racism at the palace, or has she caused a great deal of damage to the monarchy? And has she ruined an elderly lady's life after half a century of service? And could there have been a different, better way to deal with all this? Was she right to call it out in the very public way that she has done? Or would it have been better to mention it privately, ensuring that real, genuine lessons were learnt without causing so much damage to one of our greatest, most precious institutions, so admired and respected around the world? How much slack really should be given to those of the elder generation, if any at all? Well, she now says that she didn't want Lady Hussey to resign, but she is, after all, the one who put her name out there, knowing it would cause an absolute firestorm. My question is, would it have been better for the monarchy and kinder to an elderly lady of a different generation for her to have dealt with this controversy in a quieter, more private way? Well, first up, let's just remind ourselves of that now infamous exchange, which we've had voiced by our producers. Where are you from? Sister Space. No, where do you come from? We're based in Hackney. No, what part of Africa are you from? I don't know, they didn't leave any records. Well, you must know where you're from. I spent time in France. Where are you from? Here, UK. No, but what nationality are you? I'm born here and I'm British. No, but where do you really come from? Where do your people come from? My people? Lady, what is this? Oh, I can see I'm going to have a challenge getting you to say where you're from. When did you first come here? Lady, I am a British national. My parents came here in the 50s when... Oh, I knew we'd get there in the end. You're Caribbean. No, lady, I'm of African heritage, Caribbean descent and British nationality. Oh, wow. Uh, That is so hard to listen to, isn't it? Uh, Today, a former employee of the Crown Prosecution Service weighed in and said, Lady Susan Hussey asked me my heritage once, although not repeatedly, and, quote, seemed to accept my answer. So I wonder, does the whole thing boil down to an elderly lady from a different generation getting it wrong and not really meaning any offence, or is it something more serious? Well, joining us now are former royal butler to King Charles, who knows Lady Hussey well, Grant Harold, and Talk TV contributor Paula Roan-Adrian. Thank you for joining us. And plus a former head of royal protection, Di Davies. So, the race row couldn't have come. Couldn't have come at a worse time, could it? Grant, you know, uh, I mean, you know Lady Hussey. Is this not just a case of an elderly lady, just slightly out of touch, nothing to see here. It's, it's really difficult because I knew Lady Susan very well 
while I was obviously working for the, the Royal Household. And even as a youngster, when I wrote to the Queen, she was the lady that wrote back. And she, as you've said, she's been a lady in waiting or a friend, confident of, of the late Queen for many, many decades. So it was shocking and saddened to hear this. And, you know, you, you can put it down to many things. Is it age? Is it is it not thinking what she's saying? It's, it is confusing because they are in the palace, things are done in such a strict way. And, you know, they always have to think about how they say things, what they're doing. How this has happened, I have no idea. And I can imagine, I, I, would, I think she'll be devastated that, that the way this has obviously come across, how, what's been said, because she can't, you can't take that back. But the positives, as I was saying to Paula, we were talking there about it, is that at least it has got a discussion going about it, which hopefully will stop anything like this happening again. I mean, where does she go from here? She's 83 years old. Her name has been absolutely dragged through the mud. I get the impression you don't think she meant any offence whatsoever. How does somebody rebuild after this? You, I don't think you can. I mean, the reality is mo most people at 83 have obviously retired. You know, the, the fact that she had, when the Queen passed, that her duties obviously ceased. Uh, but recently, she was announced to be a lady of the household, so she did have a new role, and this was probably the first engagement in that role. Let's bring Di Davis into this conversation. Uh, Di, thanks for being with us. So, look, um, you know Lady Hussey. Uh, how surprised were you by these comments? Uh, were you su surprised at all? And do you think that it's been handled in the right way so far? Well, a very good evening. May I first say, I think it's all been blown entirely out of proportion. I think the media have gone berserk articulating this. And one has to say, this is one version of the events. We haven't heard what Lady Hussey has to say. It's amazing how much of this uh, conversation was recalled so expertly. So I really do think we have to take a balanced view on this. Some aspects of it clearly would cause somebody concern. But I also have some concern as to whether this was in one shape pre-planned. This lady, as I understand right. it, and I may right, be but, wrong, but has I... had a number of occasions... Sorry, let me finish, please. Uh, she has, on a number of occasions, made uh, some allegations against the royal family, particularly in respect of Meghan and, and other institutions. So I just wonder what on earth is going on. Well, Di, you said that we haven't heard from Lady Hussey. What we can say is that the palace has not disputed the account of Ngozi. That has not been questioned. So we have to say that there is a broad acceptance that that exchange took place. I think for you to say that it's been blown out of all proportion, many people will find quite objectionable because clearly that exchange was very offensive to the lady concerned. How do you respond well, to that? Well, it was to, to the lady concerned. Well, it may well have been to the lady concerned, and I am sorry if she felt so offended by an 83-year-old who has given exemplary service, travelled the world, spoken to literally hundreds if not thousands of people in receptions. I have to say, as a Welshman, when I first met her, she said, where do you come from, Mr Davis? Uh, and I said, from North Wales, ma'am. So it's a question quite often members of the royal family and those in her position ask of people, particularly if they come to a reception dressed like somebody very beautifully from the Caribbean. Well, and I, I think she was just trying to probe. I, I don't see that she was being racist. She isn't racist as far as I know. And I, 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 I frankly take exception to the fact that everybody is alleging she's racist 
on, on those comments. It may have been a confused conversation. Di thank There's you. A lot I'm going to bring Paula in because she didn't hear. Uh, Paula, is this a case of essentially one wrongen, an elderly lady who just hasn't caught up with the times, or do you think this proves that actually there is a degree of institutional racism within the institution of the royal family or, or the royal household itself? So I just want to be able to say three things. The first is to die. Um, I heard what he said, but what was interesting was that he acknowledged that there were parts of that conversation that were uncomfortable. Mm. And I'd be really intrigued to understand what part he considered to be uncomfortable. To answer your two questions, this isn't about a wrong'un. This isn't about an 83-year-old woman. This is about um, institutional racism. This is about something that I have spoken about previously um, and was told quite clearly that I was wrong. This is something that Harry and Meghan have spoken about and were vindictively <sighs> chased, harangued, uh, oppressed, uh, being told that, that this is all wrong, that they've got this wrong. We know now that that's probably not true. Well, we don't know that. We know that there has been one instance here of an elderly lady being, at least we can say, clumsy and ignorant in her phrasing. But, Isabel, you keep focusing on her age as if, for some reason, it's an excuse. I think that's a material consideration, well, actually. Would, would you not say that with age comes wisdom? Would you not say with age comes wisdom? And would you not say that this is a woman who has had opportunities far beyond those of many people that I know who wouldn't dare espouse such ignorant and such and approach somebody who was a guest an invited guest so let's put racism to one side and just look at the lack of manners here do you think she was just being curious though a lack of curiosity i have to say that you have displayed in paula's amazing outfit here are we allowed to ask you are we allowed to ask you where you're from you're allowed to ask where i'm from and when i answer you you will accept my response come on then and when i tell you where my outfit is from you will accept my response you will not challenge me until I give you an answer that you find acceptable. And that's the difference. It's not about asking me where I'm from. It's not about asking me where Certainly my accent... Certainly not asking where your people are or, from. <laughs> or, asking, or asking even about my people. Yes. It might make me wince, but I would understand that you were perhaps referencing my heritage. So, Paula, how would you have dealt with it then if you had been at that reception and you had been on the receiving end of the exchange, the questioning, let's call it a bit of an interrogation yes. by Lady Hussey, which is not how perhaps how she meant it, but that might have been how you took it to be. How would you have responded and would you have kicked off this level of fuss? So, that's a really interesting point because um, it has taken me over 22 years before I was prepared to report the racism that I suffered at the bar as a barrister. Right. Um, and I am really, really grateful to Miss Falani for being brave enough to challenge what is the largest institution in our society, and that's royalty. And so I would like to think that I would have been brave enough to have done that, but I'm not sure I would. And because why, what's happening? It she, right it's victim, bla it's victim did... blaming now. This is what's happening here. No, we are think, victim blaming. That's is, what Di's done. I think it is critical questioning of her account and what it actually means. Does it mean anything broader? And that's a really important question. But we don't need to critically analyse her account. Because I think as you we need to know whether it out, means something broader or whether this is a one-off unfortunate and really disappointing and, frankly, for the royal family, disastrous episode? 
unfortunately, I doubt it's a one-off. Um, what I'm grateful about is that it's happened, is that it's gone public, and that we're now having these uncomfortable conversations. We need to have these uncomfortable conversations. We need to look uh, internally. I'm just going to bring in Di. Di, um, why hadn't Lady Hussey, frankly, learnt some lessons after the Harry and Meghan accusations? You'd have thought, with that wisdom that Paula referred to, she should have known better. Well, let me just say again, uh, she's got no previous convictions, as far as I know. Uh, she's entitled to the presumption of innocence as to her motive, as your barrister should know. So what I say is, we only heard one uh, alleged account. Now, it may be true, and uh, to answer the question, was it uncomfortable? Yes, it was in part, and I wouldn't have uh, asked those questions. I am curious where people come from. It's an interesting dialogue. We, as, as people who've been born here, when we see colourful people from other parts of the world, it is interesting how and why and where they came from, where their I parents mean, you, from. You just that used the racism. word colourful people there. And, you know, I, I watched Paula wincing. Rich and uh, I well, were let both... me define colourful, then. As I've, hang on. As I've used the word colourful, I mean attractive a vibrant, oh, oh gosh, beautiful. Let's, let's not let you keep covers so that. many Di, different Di, Di, people. Exotic. From all Di, Di, the world. Can we just throw the word out there? Exotic. I, I tell you what, Di, because I brought up Harry and Meghan, let's just go to the clip of the Extraordinary Times uh, promo from Harry and Meghan on Netflix. Here it comes. Why did you want to make this documentary? sees what's happening behind closed doors. I had to do everything I could to protect my family. When the stakes were this high, doesn't it make more sense to hear our story from us? Wow, heart-stirring stuff. Paula, what do you make of that trailer? It makes me te tearful, to be does quite it? like... Yeah, it really does, because... It's beautifully done. It is beautifully done, and I... Look, I appreciate that Megan isn't everyone's cup of tea. You don't have to like me, but what I want to say to you is don't dislike me just because of the colour of my skin. You're feeling a sense of vindication because you've always stood up for Harry and Megan... Uh, and that's fine. But would you have dealt with it in the same way? Would you have exposed the disinfectant of sunlight on this issue in the way that they have? And then let's bring in Grant after that. I, I would have done. And, and as I said, I, I did this after many years with the Bar Council, who have been amazing, can I just say. The Bar Council have been amazing. However, to this day, I have grown-ups, adults, whose job it is to fight for people. That's my job. I speak up for people all the time. I couldn't speak up for myself. I was conditioned to be fearful. I don't want Grant to be conditioned to be fearful. I don't want you to be conditioned to be fearful. We need to have these conversations. We need to do it in a safe place. And people need to be able to say what's really on their minds. And I assume that saying what's really on their minds is not calling... Colourful people, colourful people. I mean, this is... Look, you know what? Di said what he did. 
And I can still have a conversation with Di about that. And I can have a conversation with Di about why I found it insulting. I don't speak for every single black person. There may be another black person here who says, Paula, come on. I think we should let Di have a, a response to this. Di, do you just want to come back in here and, and just, um, you know, perhaps defend the choice of language that you used? Well, yes, I, I, I'll use it again. I think it's a perfectly reasonable Welsh saying. We call people colourful, not because of the colour of their skin, because of the way they are, the way they dress. That's not racist. That's no way. I mean, come on, let's get real about this. I joined the police 50-odd five years ago to protect and serve. I hate bullies. I've been a patron of Kidscape protecting children for 17 years until I retired. So I don't need lessons from anyone about service and, 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 and being decent. I respect everybody has a point of view. I just happen to think we're overdoing some of this. Yes, I'm not black, I, 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 but I have many black friends. My daughter-in-law has, has, has uh, uh, relatives that came from Africa and other parts. So no way will I accept any kind of uh, inference from that okay. language that I've just used. What I am saying is we are overdoing and overplaying all, right. all of this, in my right. humble opinion. Thank you very much for that. Well, still to come... Critics moan, they wail and they virtue signal about Qatar hosting the World Cup, but they neglect to mention that we actually rely on them for natural gas. So should those who want to shun them from football also hunker down with their jumpers for a chilly, chilly winter and stop buying Qatari gas? Gas. We'll debate all of that next. Welcome back, my friends. Well, yes, of course, we've seen the predictable rush to the rainbow flag as the usual hand-wringing wokies over Qatar calling for one-love armbands to be worn, World Cup games to be boycotted and national anthems to be silenced. But are those so quick to criticise also aware that at least 10% of the UK's gas comes from Qatar? And are the critics prepared to walk the walk all the way to the thermostat and turn down the heating, as I have in my house. I've not even had it on, actually. <laughs> Understandable at that price. Well, delighted that joining us in the studio is human rights campaigner, one Peter Chatchell. Peter, very warm welcome to you. Great to have you with us. So, uh, you know, we know what's, what's going on here. Um, Qatar is a very, very important business partner for the UK. They've invested a lot of money here. And bluntly, we need their gas. So what's the problem with that? Why is, why is there so much concern? Well, it's quite right that we call out the human rights abuses in Qatar or indeed in any country that is persecuting its own people. But there is an element of hypocrisy because, as you say, Britain is financially embedded with Qatar. So on the one hand, we criticise the regime, but there are £40 billion worth of investments by Qatar in this country. Our trade with Qatar amounts to almost £9 billion. The Althani family, the ruling family in Qatar, has 4,000-plus properties across the UK. And aren't we lucky to have that investment? Isn't that a fantastic thing? I mean, you know, where does this start and stop? So, so you complain about the, the human rights issues in uh, Qatar, and, and there are some things that, frankly, 
to us um, is, is borderline horrific. But where, you know, we've got we've got Russia, where we had uh, we had the the World Cup before. We've obviously got the Olympics that were in Beijing. Where was all the sort of the moral? Highlights there. Did, did you protest on the Russia? I did. I did. I staged a protest in Moscow mm. on the opening day of the World Cup by Red Square and was arrested, like I was in Qatar just a month or so ago. But you've uh, always been so consistent on this, yep. but actually most people in the UK and the media haven't been. We haven't had that yeah. sort of hangering yeah. that we've had this time. Yeah. I think that the principle is that human rights are universal for every person on this planet. So I would not uh, seek uh, to dictate Western values. Are we just I would uphold the principle our of... values on others? Though. No, no. You know, what, how can we expect everybody to behave as we do? And which country would you say is totally pure on this front? I don't think any country is totally pure, but every member of the United Nations, including Britain and Qatar, are committed as a member of that body to uphold the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. Mm -hmm. We don't do it perfectly, but Qatar is far, far worse with regard to women, LGBT plus people and migrant workers. So we should call them out. But we also need to be careful because there is a lot of hypocrisy. We need to wean ourselves off dictatorships, not just Qatar, but others as well. But I mean, you... Realistically, it's not going to happen, though, is it? I mean, we're not going to be able to wean ourselves off. You know, we just described just how interlinked Qatar is with some of our yeah. huge, uh, you know, iconic yeah. buildings. I mean, and... we, we don't, for example, uh, you know, we don't not go to America. I mean, the next World Cup is, of course, in the States. Well, what about them and abortion rights? I mean, which many people would think are utterly horrific. Look, the reality is, and, and Piers did an interview with a member of the royal family earlier this week, look, Qatar are making progress. Should we, should we welcome that progress? Why should we, as Isabel said, impose a demand on them to go ever faster? Well, Qatar has made some progress, but only tiny. Since it got the World Cup 12 years ago, there's been no progress on women's rights, no progress on LGBT plus rights, and patchy, marginal uh, advances in terms of migrant workers' rights. The law may have changed, but the practice okay. hasn't. So, 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 look, we need their gas. Yep. All those who say, well, we've got to sort of force our values on them. Well, if you don't want their gas, then we should use our own gas. But then the same people are saying, we don't want to use our own gas. We don't want fossil fuels. So you can't do right. And, and what's worse? Are you saying Qatar is worse than China, who we're also incredibly dependent on? Well, you know, as I said, we need to start winning ourselves off dictatorships. And right now, gas is nine times more costly than renewables. We should be putting the money and investment into renewable energy, including the new tidal power, which is constant yeah, year-round, which costs, that, which costs that's, much less. Peter, that's fine when the wind blows, but earlier this week we heard the wind wasn't blowing and we nearly ran out of electricity. That, that's why tidal power is the key, because the tides go night and day, 365 days a year, and Britain is the world leader in that technology. We need massive government investment to roll it out, to cut, cut energy bills for the consumer. We're not but, having a climate change No, we're not, today. but that's totally great, uh, because actually I completely agree with you about tidal power. Peter Tatchell, thank you so much for being with us and raising that. It is such an important issue. Well, next night, folks, Labour is on the attack over the PM's private education. Rishi, now a billionaire by marriage, went to Winchester College. At yesterday's Prime Minister's questions, Keir Starmer went on the attack and called for VAT to be slapped on school fees. Here's why, and it talks about driving up standards. Just down the road in Southampton, and he'll know this, four in every ten pupils fail their English or maths GCSE yeah. this year. Four in ten. 
Is that £6 million of taxpayers' money better spent on rifle ranges in Winchester or driving up standards in Southampton? Well, Mr Speaker, he he talks about school standards. It's under... It's, it's under a Conservative government, and thanks to the reforms of the former Education Secretary, that now almost 90% of schools are good or outstanding. Mr Speaker, whenever he attacks me about where I went to school, he is attacking the hard-working aspiration of millions of people in this country. He's attacking people like my parents, Mr Speaker. This is a country that believes in opportunity, not resentment. He doesn't understand that, and that's why he's not fit to lead. So, is Sir Keir Starmer trying to scrap private schools by stealth? Well, with us is head teacher Serge Safai and author and journalist Harry Mount. Thanks for being with us. Uh, look, it's quite clear that, to me, that Starmer just wants to scrap private education, even though he enjoyed it himself. What a hypocrite, Serge. Well, I, don't, I wouldn't deny their right to exist. I don't know how I could possibly justify the tax break they get. Uh, and if he is going to introduce the 20%, I'd want it targeted towards the state, se state sector in a very specific way, as opposed to just throw it in a bucket and be wasted like they like to do. Uh, so uh, I think a bigger question is how do we get so many of our public servants, i.e. politicians, who are supposed to represent the whole country, such a huge percentage go to private schools. There's something wrong about that, and uh, I don't like it. I can't really explain what we can do about it, but maybe it explains why they're so completely out in touch. Well, you describe it as a tax break, but obviously parents who pay for private education for their children many of whom are not just sitting back quaffing champagne and, you know, enjoying the prospect of their children having that privilege. They work very, very hard to do it. They take second jobs. You know, I myself am putting children through private schools. I cannot tell you how hard I work to do that. The reality is I also pay a huge amount of tax and my tax pays for state education for my children too, but I don't take up those places. So no, I'm not getting a tax break. I'm actually subsidising Well, hold on, you, you are 20% when we go for private medical care. But I'm already, paying for, I'm no, already I get paying that. for places. No, you are. But nothing to say that... I would never deny your right to do what's right for your kids. Mm. And the fact you're right, there's fewer kids going into the state sector, as plus for everybody. Right. But it is a tax break. If you're not paying 20... We pay 20% VAT on everything. But, so why aren't you? But look, the, the, the truth is... Harry, let's bring you in here. So, uh, Serge says it's a tax break, but in reality, there is nothing more charitable than the education of one's children, at whatever level. For centuries, education has been a charitable enterprise all the way, including universities. Exactly, and actually, originally, a lot of those famous public schools were, in fact, specifically charities set up by rich people, by kings and queens, yes. for poor, poor scholars. What's gone wrong in the last 40 years is that uh, the fees for private schools, as you will know with children at them, have completely soared. So when I was at private school 30 years ago, you had the children of academics, the children yep. of teachers there. Not in a million years could yep. they afford to go now. Absolutely. So I already, mean, my parents, yeah. my dad was a civil servant. He did not earn a huge amount. He somehow managed to put us through private schools. No way could you do it now yeah. on that salary. Yeah. So you're right in a sense that it's got more and more elite... 
But does that mean that we should take it away? How does it well, benefit? Well, no, I've already said it. How the very does that beginning. benefit those further down? No, well, well, what it, it does, what it does. First of all, I've already said at the very beginning, I do not deny the right that people can spend their money as they wish. Right, but you My want to make it more and more is, expensive. Well, I'd say no tax break. If it's and twenty okay, percent so, no VAT is a tax break. The fact that we've got fewer teachers, fewer uh, kids in the state sector to deal with, and you're paying twice. Yes. Okay. That I suppose is basically a good thing. But uh, so, 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 so yeah. presumably you'd agree with putting 20% on university fees? Because it's exactly the same thing. Well, university fees, fees are, for me, I, someone needs to tell me where that nine and a half grand is going. So That's answer, a very good so question. So to answer the yeah. question, so if you think that there should be VAT on private school fees, do you also think there should be VAT on tuition fees? Well, tuition it's fees, well, it's not the same thing. It's two different systems. Well, you they're both education. Yeah, they're both education, but one is privately paid for. The other one is... Everyone goes to pay nine and a half grand. And they're they? responsible for that nine and a grand. Well, so they're exactly. paying fees, so they're very lucky, because obviously 55% of uh, people in their, in their late teens and 20s don't go to university. So surely it's elitist for those who do go, so they should pay 20 But they've earned the right fees. to go. And they're paying for it. Well, have to, well unfortunately, so, they so have, is, do have is, to pay for it. Let me tell you the complete hmm. flaw in this argument hmm. by Labour. They think you're going to get 1.7 billion. Right, fine. That's the cost on the, on the outputs. Hmm. But then the schools are going to save about 400 million on the inputs because you offset the inputs against the outputs. 500 million of bursaries. You're, you're going a bit too fast, I think. I think mm. what you mean about the inputs is you mean that because schools don't currently pay VAT, yeah. that means that they can't. They reclaim can't reclaim the costs. So, of, so, of, so, so you're talking about 1.7 billion. Right. This would the 20 percent. Would on the fees. That raises 1.7 billion. But the reality is that drops down to literally zero schools can then when, when you, when you drop off the reclaim of input costs, when you drop off the 500 million of bursary costs that these schools will not be able to afford. Mm. And, and the reason I know that is I'm actually declaring interest. I'm chair of the, um, the finance body of a large uh, independent school. Uh, so there's, there's that. And so all of a sudden it whittles down to not a lot. And then you've got the cost of probably 100,000 uh, pupils will have to go back into the state system. Yeah, but you're talking as though we're, I'm saying that we should ban the private sector. Not so I'm not. I'm just saying. I mean, Labour so think you want you're going to make it. You want to make it no, cheaper for the very rich I, to be able to go. There. I'm saying Labour think you're going to raise 1.7 billion. Yeah. You're not. You're going to raise literally nothing, which is a complete flaw in the whole argument. I mean, you might even just... actually lose money because Probably. I think it's roughly six or seven thousand pounds a year. Be educating the state system. Correct. Where mm -hmm. would you get all the teachers from? So you're going to, let's say this policy goes through, what will, in reality, a lot of parents will no longer be able to afford mm. the fees. So lots of children will then move from the independent sector into state schools. Some of these schools, the private schools, will then fail. You, how are you going to get the extra teachers to... Well, the, the teachers are already there. They're teaching in this private sector. They just switch to the oh, state sector. Oh, come on, they're not going to do that. Why aren't they going they to do that? They won't do that Why? because, because, because they they, don't, they've chosen not to work Well, they've the chosen because they were going to get more money. They're going Sometimes, to have better pupil-teacher ratios. Not necessarily. Well, yes, pupil-teacher ratios. I think ratios, you're being a definitely. bit naive to imagine oh, they I'm can not just at all. I've done this job for 43 years. Yep. The naivety lies in the fact that this is an unfair system that we have to live with because we're a free country. But it's unfair, and if we can split it's, a little bit more towards the people that really could never even the, dream of private education... The truth education. is, Serge, it's not going to raise a bean. Mm. Harry Mount, Serge Sophia, thank you so thank much you. for being with us. Coming up next, folks, making most of footballing history, 
Stephanie Frappe will lead the first all-women team to referee a men's World Cup game at tonight's game between Germany and Costa Rica. We'll be talking about all that, plus lots more with tonight's pack next. Welcome back to Piers Morgan Uncensored with Richard and Isabel. Now let's talk to tonight's pack. Talk TV contributor Paul Arone Adrianan, deputy editor of Conservative Home, Henry Hill. Uh, fantastic. So, welcome uh, both of you. Thanks for being uh, part of our, our pack tonight. So, between now and Christmas, literally every single day, there's going to be a strikes. And in particular, the ambulance drivers. I mean, Paula, surely this is wrong. They shouldn't be striking. What's wrong is that they have felt so pushed, so pressured, so stranded, so completely abandoned by our government that they have been forced into doing this. I, I suspect that paramedics, ambulance crew, nurses are the professions who are under the most amount of strain at the moment. We may be out of COVID, but they're not. And now they're having to deal with COVID and the flu all over again. And they are watching people die because there is insufficient staff. There is... The infrastructure is just doesn't exist. Uh, and they're then going home cold and hungry. But they're going to cause, unfortunately, more people to, deny, to die by these strikes. I mean, that is the reality. At the moment, we already have desperate problems with ambulance services. Those are leading to terrible response times. People are literally dying waiting for ambulances. So, you know, my bleeding heart doesn't really go there on this one because those ambulance workers may well have a case that they should have higher pay, better conditions, but by taking strike action, people will die. Isabel, your bleeding heart would be cured by this strike. And that is, I don't think it that, would be. That How is, would it be the, cured? That is the only way they can get this message across to the government who has left them high and dry, who thought it was appropriate to stand and clap. Okay. And now they are asking for help. They're being told that there's nothing left in the cupboard. The cupboard is empty. Well, the truth, is, the truth is, Henry, because the, uh, the Tories, they had uh, extended lockdowns, 400 million quid's worth. There's no money left in the tin. I mean, genuinely, so many of the problems we've had with the NHS is basically that over decades we have just not made long-term investments in precisely the kind of infrastructure. But that does mean that now the health service is running right up against the maximum that the government can find in taxation. And the harsh reality is that what strikes like this mean is, one, obviously a direct loss of life, which is, which is a moral problem, but also higher wage costs. Those, that's money that's not going to be invested in new hires not going to be invested in new equipment. So, so you're saying don't pay any extra salaries? You're I, saying, well, no, you're saying I, hold it back? I would say you, you know, match inflation because it's, you, you, ultimately you need people to do these jobs and you need to be able to recruit. But, but going far beyond inflation at the moment, the NHS just really can't do it. But the reality is we've already got, sorry, um, an excess death crisis. This is just going to make it worse. I understand that the ambulance crew and that the paramedics will be running something called a life and limb service. Oh, great. So it's you know, not... Happy days. It's absolutely not their purpose to see more people lose their lives. It's, uh, how can you even suggest 
that somebody who has dedicated their life to training to save people mm. is making a decision that will ultimately lead to another person's because, death. Because That's that not is, their aim, is but, it? No, 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 I didn't not. say it's their aim. I didn't say it was their aim. I said that that was an almost certain byproduct of what they are going to do. Now, look, I think you've got a point that the government seems to be able to find billions for all sorts of other nonsense. I know we can have a debate about whether we should be spending billions on HS2, one of your favourite topics. Uh, <laughs> But in reality, they may well have a case for higher pay. The question is, is striking the, the right way to go about that? They have tried every other way, haven't they? They have tried. We've had research done. We've had reports filed. We've had inquiries. But we've been here before, haven't we? Yeah. In the, the NHS have told us that we get to winter time and we're at crisis well, level. I think we need to move on to something cheery. We need to move on to something cheery. For example, I mean, isn't it fantastic? Here we are at the World Cup, and literally as we speak, the, the first all-female team uh, referee and lines judges, uh, are, are they're, they're refing this match between Germany and Costa Rica. It, why is it taking first, so long? It's the first time. It's literally it? the first time yeah. in the World Cup. Why is it taking so long? Because men rule the world. <laughs> Henry, do you rule the world? Uh, not personally, <laughs> but you? I'm told that I'm part of a group that do, which is all... <laughs> miss the checks and the meetings, but nonetheless. I think you might rule the household, but I'm not sure about the world. <laughs> I'm not sure about that either, that's for sure. I mean, um, I mean, it, it just boils down to that, doesn't it? FIFA is a male-dominated yes. organisation, and suddenly it has decided in 2022 what? that we can read and that we can run at the same time and blow a whistle. When but it's got a massive PR problem. But extraordinarily. The thing in Qatar. Well, FIFA's yeah. doing better than the FA and the Premier League. I think I'm right in saying there hasn't been a female ref of a Premier League game. Just quickly, uh, Ofcom telling the BBC, wasteful organisation, uh, poor people need something special dedicated to watch. I feel sure you've got a view on that one, Paula. I mean... How do you identify a poor person? Oh, it's like in doing a cost of living crisis. You know, oh, are we talking about the social strata? Yeah, we're talking about that. And yeah. so, yeah. because you don't earn as much money as myself or you or Henry, Apparently we watch watching different programs. Makeup shows. I'm kind of into the makeup show thing. I'm not. I'm not averse to that. I but, mean, you know, how it's a bit patronising. Could right? we? Completely patronising. I think. I think it is patronising, but also it strikes against the purpose of the BBC because the whole point of having something that we fund through taxation is that it makes stuff that's educational that maybe can't be funded commercially. We have got loads of commercial channels. Yeah. People can watch them. Yeah. Exactly. BBC, what can you say? Next tonight, is Lab Made Meat the answer to global food shortages? Over my dead body, no chance. Oh, dear. <laughs> well, welcome back. Could artificial meat be the future? Made by precision fermentation, a refined form of brewing all multiple microbes uh, to create products. Meat made from microbes. Microbes? Kind of Sounds revolting. Yeah. I'm not buying it at all. Well, delighted we're joined by the founder of The Black Farmer, Wilfred Emmanuel Jones, and animal rebellion activist Nathan McGovern. Great to have you with us, uh, both of you. Look, Nathan, if you want to eat meat, then why don't you just eat the real thing? Why do you need to eat fake meat? I mean... Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Call it something else besides um, So, let's meat. just get something right. Uh, precision fermentation biologically creates the exact same product. You know, put it under a microscope, you would see the exact same thing. 
using less land, producing less carbon. It can't be the same. It's not an animal. That's just biologically. Biologically, it is identical, Richard. Precision fermentation creates the same product. The thing about meat. So basically, what's really important about meat is the marbling, the fat. Who wants the marbling, though? To have, let's say, steak. Everybody knows to have a fantastic tasting steak, you have to have marbling. And people spend ages maturing the meat for days on end to get that fantastic marbling. So, Wilfred, you're a traditional farmer. You're a livestock farmer, are you, by background? Nobody's going to look at me and say, I'm a proper farmer, I have a farm, and other people do all this sort of hard work. A gentleman farmer (laughs) is a much better way of putting it. Right. So, understandably, you're probably rather hostile to the concept of artificial meat because that threatens your business and everything that you built. But, but I mean, what but Nathan... The, but the thing say. is this, everybody's eating less meat, OK? So, 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 so that, that isn't a bad thing. So, I mean, the, the challenge that I have is to say we're going to get rid of meat altogether and then go to artificial meat. As far as I'm concerned, that is madness. Because for those of you, and I don't know, are you vegetarian? Or, I'm or... not. I eat very little meat and I'm pretty little... choosy about it. And that is for animal welfare and some environmental okay. reasons. But well, let me tell you something. That, and somebody was telling me this story a couple of days, and you might want to hear this, is that somebody was chewing gum. So a, a lady who's been a vegetarian all of life is chewing gum. And I said... Not something I'd ever do. No, but I'll tell you, this is what's Very interesting. Vulgar. And I said, why are you chewing gum? And she said that actually she realised because she doesn't eat meat, she's not doing any chewing, and she's losing the power of the muscles. Goodness sake. So that in itself tells you, if you don't want to start looking like... You know, what you don't want to look like. I was about to say a hag then. You've got to make sure you choose something. But, but to I can't make believe sure. you just said <laughs> that. Apparently, in, I have in, to choose. In Nathan Worlds, you want to get rid of all animals, so then... Hang how, on, he doesn't want to get rid of all you, animals. Animal, animal rebellion. You, you want no, almost... He wants to look after okay, animals. Let's just address this straight but, but, away. But what's going to happen? How farmers going to make any dietary association has said, The American Dietary Association has said, the World Health Organization has said, a well-planned plant-based diet is healthy for every single and stage of life. by the way. Exactly, as well, exactly. It's called, it's called vegetables. You know, let's talk about this technology, precision fermentation, alternative ways of creating protein. This technology's here. It's not going away. What we need to be doing is embracing this revolution in our food system, this revolution that is going to be producing cheaper food. The exact same products that you produce, Wilfred, it's going to be producing so, that So how do the cheaper. farmers make a living, and who looks after oh, the that is a fantastic question, Richard. What we need is a government that's actually going to support farmers. You know, farmers who have been mistreated by a Tory government for the last 12 years. The subsidy system is a shambles, right? You know, our food security well, that's because we're in the EU, thank God we've left it, so now we our can sort it out. Our food security isn't but, a shambles, but I'm sure you can agree on that. farmers are able to diversify, aren't they? I mean, that's what farmers have been brilliant at doing in recent years. So I don't buy... And, um, and, I, just, I just think going down the cheaper food oh, route is not... Something's coming. But we want to get rid of subsidies. Oh, you've got a delivery? Look at What's this. What's going on here? Look hello, hello. So we've been giving you tips. What's going on? Right. Did you have peers on the phone here. before? So what, 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 you, what, what have you got there? Right. Uh-oh. right, right, right. One of these is, oh my gosh, these are lovely. One of these is vegan, vegan or vegetarian. It's certainly right. not got real meat in it. And yeah. the other one is a real thing. I'd be so, really fascinated to know whether you could right. tell the difference. Deliveroo have delivered a couple look of burgers. <laughs> well, just by well, looking just at that one out. there, that one looks it's, to me that it's artificial. This, this, this looks the real McCoy. It does, right. yes. You keep talking amongst yourselves. You said, I'll just you, have a bit of a munch. So, so, now, could you say, looking at that, that looks appetising. They've done as much as they can to disguise it, but uh, that looks as though I want to eat it. 
Which that one? Hang on. Yeah. I think Here we go. This is okay. sticky and mucky. I'm glad you're doing yeah. this. Well, that's, 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 that's not very elegant, is it? That, um, a... Read it interesting. Which one? Could you tell the difference? That is a hospital past that. <laughs> Which one hospital. is it? That is a vegan burger. Oh, yes. That is it. the real McCoy. And you could and just no tell that just by looking at it. You can actually you... tell it by the smell, to be honest. Can yeah. you? No, you can't. That's absolutely nonsense. Well, let's, let's take a look smell. at this technology, right? It's like when the first cars were made, they were pretty awful, right? Mm-hmm. You know, in the whole scheme of where cars are right now. Yep. This technology is an emerging technology, right? It is definitely right? going to it get better, and we are going to do this again. accelerating... <laughs> At an astronomical rate right now, and it's not just you know the burgers you have in front of you. Let's you know look. That's milk taking powder. medicine. Let's, that's pleasure. Let's look and at things like milk powder, right? I would love we can to produce share that it already cheaper. You. you haven't answered my question. Who's going to look after the countryside if there are no farmers? It's exactly. Well, the farmers will be doing something different. Exactly. You the farmers will what? still be working. What I think is that it will become probably a lot more expensive because the thing about animals, actually, it's probably a cheaper way of land management. Goodness. Oh dear. That is it from us. Thank goodness Piers is back on Monday. As the big man himself would say, whatever you're up to, whatever you're doing, make sure it's uncensored. Stay there. Good night.